Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday at this time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, good morning to you. Good Arab Shabbos to everyone. Thank you for that. Um, I am uh, impressed and really... Um, uh, really happy with the way that our community in general, there are exceptions, which we don't have to discuss this morning, but the way our community in general has reacted to the uh, situation in New York City and beyond uh, regarding the attitude toward uh, uh, toward police officers. And I'm sure you would love to, uh, uh, you as well, uh, would love to commend those who, especially those who are noticeably Jewish, and some of them very noticeably Jewish, who have gone out of their way to participate in vigils, to express support, for New York City cops and cops in general, police officers, I should say, in general, I think our community has done very well in that area. I think uh, that's correct, and our community generally, uh, I think, has a good relationship with the police. There are always exceptions and incidents that occur, as you would have in any population, but the community recognizes the importance of the police and the importance of police community cooperation because both benefit from it we created scan the secure community network to complement the police and they are so helpful and so cooperative in enabling us to reach out to schools institutions and others to to benefit uh, the security situations across the board and and you notice every arab rosh hashanah and other hagim other holidays when you have the special police presence there to protect synagogues to deter any kind of incident or just to help facilitate the flow of traffic. I mean, these are really uh, remarkable things that too often we take for granted. And when a terrible thing occurs, like occurred here in New York last week, it makes people remember that the, you know that these people put their lives on the line. And, uh, you know, all the critics can, can have their day. But I think the dem- demonstrations now are in very poor taste and ill-advised. And do you see, by the way, and it may not be fair of me to use you as a sounding board for this comment, but I'll give it a shot. Did you see some of the videos, the way some people behave toward the police who they're marching by and the language they use and the and the almost violent behavior they use? I'm talking about the ones who aren't arrested and carted away. It's just outrageous. Well, I saw it myself. Uh, I was coming home from the, the ABC studio on, th- on Thursday night last, and I saw the actions taken by some people on the sidewalks as they uh, were, there were some people were arrested, and it was it was horrific. And the restraint demonstrated by the police oh. was truly remarkable. And I saw the demonstration on Wednesday night, I think, along Madison Avenue, et cetera, and and blocking traffic. And the police, uh, a tremendous failings of police. And they just moved coolly along. The signs were, some of them were really outrageous. And one of the, uh, a couple of the signs said, from Gaza to Brooklyn, resistance is legitimate. Uh. And this is true in Missouri. We've seen how uh, some of the pro-Palestinian Arab groups have taken advantage of these situations. And we know that some money has come in for them to demonstrate and to, to try to exploit uh, these very tense situations. I think it's really horrific, but a, a warning. Um, yeah, a warning is right. We keep getting a lot of these warnings. I wish we'd heed some of the warnings. Um, comment on the NSN app specifically for you, and I thought it's a good place to start. Does the Prime Minister of Israel now regret going to elections? <laughs> he ain't going to tell us if he does, but uh, I certainly think he has some second thoughts. 
the people of Israel, you know, were wise enough to say right away that they were opposed to it. They didn't see the need for it. Right. They don't expect a bigger, a different outcome. That may not be the case right now, but it's still a long time off, and uh, you know, people have had Netanyahu for a long time. So there's this mood of uh, anybody but Bibi, the feeling that many in in Israel have not seen the benefits of the economic uh, uh, conditions of the country supposedly so good, and yet. You have, according to the latest polls, a million and a half people below the poverty letter, level, or studies rather, uh, below the poverty level that are half a million children, uh, may even be food deprived and certainly uh, in difficult circumstances. So those things really make a difference in the, the general mood um, also. And we shouldn't exaggerate it. People Israelis right. still rank amongst the happiest people, et cetera, et cetera, and their quality of life is far better than the vast majority of countries in the world, even rivaling European countries. But there's no doubt that there's maybe some fatigue and some, you know, people saying maybe we need something different. They just don't know who's different. The latest polls, I understand, show that labor would get 25 and I think BB 23. It also depends on who's going to be running, what order, what kind of coalitions, all these investigations now that have been launched always seem to come just as elections uh, are uh, in in full swing. Yeah, and we know this one other thing that often happens before elections, unfortunately, and that's some of the things we saw this week in terms of attacks and rockets, etc., which we'll talk about, and that could also sway things. By the way, Michael Oren is running. He is, it appears that way. Yeah, it appears he is running. And, and by the way, yeah, correct, with Cajon, and and, you know, just on the uh, analyzing the election, it, it seems from Sippy Livni's approach especially with the way she speaks about Mahmoud Abbas and the whole peace process, she might be running on the platform of I'm the only one who can achieve peace. And I don't know if that's the best strategy for these days. Do you think that's the direction she's going in as she makes these public statements? Well, I think if you there are a couple of answers to this one. I don't know that that, that is a the uh, decision that she's made, but she certainly has always uh, tried to take that uh, position, uh, even when she was in the government. And she's uh, she's trying to separate herself from the others. That's the only thing I think she has that that would enable her to do that. Mm. Um, but notice how she's had major defections in the last forty eight hours uh, with Mitzna and um, and others, uh, uh, Eliezer Stern, uh, who are members of her party, are, have all left. Mayor Shitrit, or some of the real veterans of Israeli politics, have quit. Quit the party and quit the race. Uh, they may join another party another, uh, later on, but uh, I, I would indicate it would indicate certainly some sense on their part uh, about uh, where the election is going. Right. Um, all right. In terms of what happened this week, so first of all, eleven-year-old Ayala, and I'm assuming most of the audience has heard about this horrific episode. Uh, obviously, you know, hanging on for dear life in terms of her medical situation. Um, what? I, I, I feel silly asking the question in terms of what could Israel do, because all we're looking for, and I'm sure all the citizens of Yudan and Shamron are looking for, is a little more protection and security from incidents like this. What could you tell us about this specific episode? Well, the episode itself is still under investigation. It was a firebombing, the, uh, but the, you know, last night two policemen were stabbed in, in Yerushalayim in the old city. Right. The, uh, this is a new tactic on the part of ISIS. This is not just haphazard. If you look at their some of their websites, some of the things that they are putting out, in uh, that they, they, they cite uh, 
car drive, uh, driving cars into crowds, stabbings, uh, beheadings, of course, as as core methods that they are recommending and that they're urging, and they're doing it in other places as well. Uh, thank God we haven't had suicide bombings, but they they're doing that. Uh, we see it all over. Look in Europe, how many incidents there are in Europe. Uh, massive arrest. Germany arrested 300 people for association with the uh, IS, and you have um, uh, demonstrations by 15,000 people in Germany against uh, against the, uh, the Islamization, they call it, of, of Germany, but it's because of often of the security situation. In Austria, they closed the Saudi school. This is happening all over. France conducted raids in 12 different places, Toulouse, Normandy, Paris, but when you give credit to IS for the firebombing, you're you're including you know Hezbollah, Hamas, and everybody else. I mean, I, I'm not saying that IS itself was involved. With what I'm right. saying is that they set the tone often. Look, the beheadings are, are to them core strategy. They, they adopted this and then found out how impactful it is. So it has been replicated by Hezbollah, by Hamas in the Sinai, in Yemen, in Iraq, in Lebanon. It's not carried out by them, but it set the tone, and people see, these terrorist organizations see that they can recruit, that they can have an an impact, and they are uh, gearing up now, they say, uh, to a uh, a much broader uh, campaign. They have, what, twenty to 30,000 people who have come from 90 countries. They can openly kill 150 women in Fallujah. They can do a terrible thing. I mean... This unspeakable travesties, and you know, we speak to the Azidis, whom I've spoken about before. But now, the women who got out because of the action, uh, combined U.S. bombing, uh, Allied bombing, and then the Peshmerga, the uh, Peshmerga, the Kurdish troops went in and, and created an exit route where the women came out, and the people came out who had been literally starving without weapons and no support from outside. And yet, they, the women tell the horrific stories, and the press hardly gives it a, men, a, a mention. And I know people who are there now on the ground, and, and they can't even write it. They can't even describe it. It's so horrific what, what they're being told uh, is being done to, to, to people. And, and yet, it, you know, they, 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 they diverted water from a major area in the Bildez in Iraq, where 150,000 people live, and they are they're trying to, you know, starve them to death. And, and I mean, they just there's no limit. There's nothing that they they won't do. And and as long as the West and the world allows it, it's silent about it. Devotes its Human Rights Council meetings and the, the Geneva Convention founders meetings to Israel, not to the horrific acts that are really going on. You reward them. You keep encouraging them to just do more of it. Yeah. There was, um, I'm trying to remember, there was a, a strike on ISIS this week. Was it a Syrian strike, if I'm not mistaken? Saudi Arabia? I don't I don't remember. The reason I'm asking is because I'm wondering about the effectiveness of this. And you know, we always talk about terrorism, having an address, knowing where to strike, etc. Does does that type of, of attack deter them at all? Does it make a dent in their whole system? Well, they estimate the Allies estimate that they've killed, I think, 1,200 of them in the in the strikes. The uh, it does make a dent, but the problem is that for some reason it doesn't stop them. It not even in Kobani, have, which has been under attack now for months, has it really uh, had an effect? And their recruitment goes on. 
they're appealed to, to groups. They're now, they, you know, they've appealed for doctors, lawyers, professionals of all kinds, and whole families are moving to the caliphate. People from Lebanon elsewhere were interviewed that they, they moved, and, and they're doing much more online recruiting. They're doing other things, which doesn't indicate an impact, although we hear that there are internal rivalries. We hear that, that, that sometimes the bombings have, have hit, you know, uh, weapons depots, other things which obviously makes a difference. We should have done it much earlier. We should do it more, uh, more broadly. Um, and uh, you can't, we can't measure from the outside the impact that it has when they kill some of the key leadership, as they did in one of the strikes. You saw that a Jordanian piloted uh, plane that was in the uh, coalition forces, the Allied forces, uh, was sh- shot down. They claim. The- What's the fate of that pilot? Well, he was captured by IS, and his father has appealed to them to to use Muslim hospitality to to take care of him and not to hurt him. He was he, he obviously came out of it alive, so they can't claim he was dead then. Right. But the, and because they, they 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 paraded him and they showed pictures with him, the plane crashed according to Western sources, not because it was shot down, although they do have the capacity which shows their five missiles to do so. I guess because of some mechanical problems. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Special welcome to those tuned in on the NSN app around the world. Much appreciated. You can comment as we go along on the home screen of that app. You know, I think this question might might help us understand the broader picture. You know, when you look up, and I think this research on my part is accurate, when you look up those who support ISIS, a country like uh, Qatar is on the list. If you look at the co- the list of the coalition who's trying to fight ISIS, the country of Qatar is on the list. Does that, does that make sense? In the Middle East, everything makes sense. <laughs> How do you explain it? Arabs call Qatar a country built on a television station. Qatar is also trying to reach out with Egypt. You know, they closed down Al Jazeera's Egypt operation after the government protested and for their criticism of the government. Also, the Egyptian government arrested a number of Al Jazeera correspondents who may be released because of this. But Qatar is playing it on both sides. They are challenging Saudi Arabia, the UAE, for you know a primary role in the Middle East. They have the. Um, unique gift of, uh, of uh, tremendous wealth, uh, small country, small population, huge amount of money, and they spend it. And they, they, they are the primary supporters of Hamas. They're the primary supporters of other terrorist operations. They uh, do play sometimes both sides. Is there any other country that in theory would be on both lists, or this is really the exception? No, there's certainly the exception, and the um, I, I, and it doesn't mean necessarily that, that they give. You know, the pledges to the PA, remember the big donors meeting uh-huh. at $4.5 billion pledged? Sure. Nachum, guess how much has been paid? <laughs> Zero. $100 million <laughs> out of $4.5 billion. Well, maybe it was $100 million a year for, you know, for, for 100 years. years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We don't know. Yeah, what well, they think it's a shul appeal. <laughs> you don't know what the <laughs> pledge arrangement was. <laughs> you know, it's about the same ratio, probably. More, but the... Uh, but the fact is that they, they, you know, they, they all are trying to manipulate the situation to their, to their benefit. And this is something IS can take advantage of. But the, the concerns, you know, the United States is supposedly gearing up to a new campaign and shipping weapons from Afghanistan to Kuwait to, um, 
to go into Iraq and try to take back the Anbar province, which everybody will remember from the previous wars, but which ISIS has essentially uh, taken over. And, uh, and ISIS announced its new strategy, which is to target Saudi Arabia. Uh, the Arabs, the Gulf states have always excluded Qatar. Recently, they allowed him to come, although they didn't talk to them and they weren't very friendly with them. Um, but they are now targeting Arab states and to take uh, territory. They advise their people to take territory using um, uh, terror and, and other means and the means that I, I discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. So you still have countries pitted against each other. They're all looking to, to finesse their new role. Qatar in making these, uh, this outreach to Egypt, it's clearly a reflection, A, that they want to be a player, and B, that the, they recognize that their isolation will hurt them. Um, and I, we, we mentioned last Friday about a rocket from Gaza. We know that this week an IDF soldier was wounded by Gaza snipers. Uh, have there been other rockets this week? And why do I read about you know Iron Dome deploying again? Can't I assume that Iron Dome is always manned and at the ready because Israel never has a clue when the next you know missile is coming? Well, first of all, there are several batteries of Iron Dome. This one, the one you're talking about, was in the Beersheba area, and uh, it was deployed there, meaning put on the ready. They they do not stand all the time. It's expensive to maintain them, uh, so they are uh, they're there, but they're not necessarily deployed, meaning ready for use. The, um, and, and by the way, David Sling, which will be able to attack missiles in, from their launch sites and over enemy territories, uh, is, has made a tremendous advances and they expect it to be operable by 2016. I think they, is the, now the early 2016. Which means that if there's a launching pad with a rocket or missile on it? So it w- won't hit it on the launching pad. It will hit it. Um, you know, it all goes by the trajectory and the arc of the missile's fires, and it's very technological, I guess. Can imagine. But the, but the uh, this one is meant, uh, as we know, that uh, Iron Dome takes it out over Israel. Right. This would hit it uh, much closer to the place where it originates. That's where the shrapnel would go. And that's where yeah, so well, they get a big use the metal business, but scrap metal. But unbelievable. I, I, unbelievable! Is this the don't ask to explain it because I haven't got it. Is this the same company, individuals, geniuses, inventors that are responsible for Iron Dome? Some, and you have parallel operations. Also, people working on this and other means. You saw how Israel has now way ex- expanded largely its use of uh, unmanned naval vehicles along its coast. And uh, it's something we should recommend to other countries. Some are buying it from Israel. But you see the, the Iranian Navy this week announced, the, the commander of the Navy, that they can go to the Indian Ocean, they can go into U.S. waters, that they have a chokehold on the U.S. and the Persian Gulf, something we've talked about for a long time here. But, again, doesn't get much attention. Uh, you, you, you know the obvious question now. The obvious question is, are we getting to a time where, you know, when nuclear warheads are attached to missiles, they're going to be able to, to be taken out, you know, over the territory of the attacking country. Which is exactly why we are opposing any capacity in a part of Iran to build nuclear weapons, to, to enrich uranium, because that's exactly the outcome. And many of these unmanned vehicles, including some of the unmanned planes, 
are capable of carrying bombs, and there's no reason why they can't be outfitted with the... Uh, oh, I agree with... Oh, I, we, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I was saying the opposite, that now if Israel's proving that it can, uh, you know, d- that it can go ahead and uh, and take out a missile over the, you know, over enemy territory, so to speak, as you just described, would this give Israel and other freedom-loving countries the ability to do the same with, I don't know, nuclear warheads that are ready to be uh, ready to be shot? Uh, I don't know whether a nuclear warhead can be affixed to everything. I, I don't think so, but it's certainly a possibility. Wow. Unbelievable. But and, and by the way, and you see the public announcements by Hamas, how Tehran is upgrading their weapons, Hezbollah, how Iran is upgrading their weapons, which is why Israel, what we discussed last week, took out the place in Syria, but it was the eighth time that they took out places this year, sites this year, where... Uh, weapons are stored because they're looking at new, new and different routes all the time to um, to get weapons in. But people, again, I tell you that that people just have to read, have to see what they say. They tell the truth. They're telling us what their intentions are. They talk about taking over the West. The U.S. They, they, the ISIS spokesman this week said it's not a question of when we uh, of if we take over Europe. It's only a question of when we take over Europe. Why doesn't anybody listen to that? And they talk about ca- uh, uh, conquering it and establishing the caliphate there, and that, and and they say uh, it w- will not be in a nice way. We will use beheadings and slavery, and those who don't convert will be slaves and dimmies. And uh, you know, when they expel 130,000 Christians, as we learn now from Mosul, uh, and all these actions, and it gets no no counterpart measures on the part of others. You know, the Europeans now are, are panicking in, in terms of response. I cited some, uh, and, you know, the statistics came out in the last week, the last couple of days, showing that Marseille, which is the second largest city in France, has 30 to 40 percent Muslim population, and a new mosque for 14,000 people being built in Barcelona, in Brussels, in Salt, in Bavaria, has 33,000 um, asylum seekers coming from, from the Arab countries. The United States took in, uh, I don't want to say exactly, I think it was 20,000 from Iraq, 7,000 from Somalia, 10,000 refugees from Syria. I'm not saying we shouldn't take the refugees. I'm not saying, but but you see the massive movements of population. But when cities like Brussels are at 30% Muslim population in Barcelona and Salt and the others, and I mentioned Rotterdam, Amsterdam, all the 25% plus Muslim populations, you reach what they call the tipping point, and we see the out-migration of others, which only exaggerates further the demographic imbalances. So don't look for nuclear weapons. As I said here for years, what I was told by a Muslim leader, our nuclear weapon is demographics. Yeah. What did you hear about the um, about the shooting at the Paris synagogue? What was What was this episode all about? Well, it's not one. They also shot at a restaurant, and we were waiting to see what uh, what happens. But you know, everybody keeps saying isolated incident. I, I have been, I'm obviously in touch with the French Jewish community. The police there have done a good job. They're very satisfied with the police. The government reaction has been strong. Balls, the prime minister, who who is married to to somebody of Jewish descent, and others have been very strong in the condemnations. That's why I was citing these other numbers and and giving you the reactions and the facts on the ground, because it's not something that a government can just, you know, issue an edict and somehow cure. It's not the way it will happen. And I would hope that Muslim leaders, especially Muslim religious leaders, will play more of a role, not to exacerbate tensions, as they too often do, but to 
to try and contain it and try to recognize. And the problem was that European countries didn't early on take the steps necessary to to try and uh, integrate the populations. You know, in Saudi Arabia, 92% of the people in a poll approve ISIS's ways. So they have support in, in the Arab world for what they're doing and for uh, challenging the West. And, and even with this horrific, unspeakable behavior and tactics on their part. I don't know how freedom-loving, peaceful people could even... <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know how they could go ahead and... Exactly. It's, it, it's just so know. absurd. A backwards world. Um, it, then, of course, you know, people listening to this program are probably wondering... How on earth people stay in places like Paris, etc., especially the way you just described it and this attack that happened this week and the restaurant attack that you just mentioned. And, uh, you know, again, as we always point out, that's human nature and uh, can, can always get people to do what's logical, especially when it means... You do have out-migration. Right. And, and, and the truth is, when you, when you think about it in the context of Jewish history, the percentages from France are relatively high, I think, in a situation like this. Right? I think it's... a. Uh, it's been a steady outflow that, that is increasing, and it's immensely true amongst young people, which is the key to the future. And uh, it, and it's not just Jewish young people. I'm talking about people of all religions and uh, who cannot tolerate, and even Muslims who don't want to live under in these circumstances in, in neighborhoods where they cannot, you know, live freely and dress as they want, behave as they want. Right. Uh, the remains of 22 Israeli soldiers are still in Egypt. So a delegation went this week, and I didn't realize that this happens on a semi-regular basis, on a somewhat regular basis, I should say. Um, they do what? They go and negotiate with Egyptian authorities about trying to find the remains of these soldiers from past wars? How does it work? Well, there have been teams that have gone in and actually located, taken out uh, remains. Uh, there have been exchanges. There have been other things uh, 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 over the years. Uh, but... I, I don't know what this group particularly did, but most cases they they have had some joint operations to look for the remains uh, of the, the soldiers and to try to bring them back. Includes people who fell in the Kippur War, Six Day War, etc. I mean, it goes way back. Not just we're not talking about recent episodes. I don't, I don't know. I, I I would I don't know what other countries would do. I just like pointing out when Israel forty years later is not forgetting about those who fell, and you know what I mean. So. Exactly. Then no soldier left behind. The soldier, the uh, the um, attack in Yerushalayim this week with the cinder block through the windshield, and we read a lot about, and a lot of people knew uh, the people. I know the people who were subject to the attack. So the 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 question is what the police response was, and it's funny that we opened this conversation with you know police activity here in New York and other areas, and the way this country is focusing on it right now. Uh, in Jerusalem. Is there the same type of hesitation to get involved as a police officer in the aftermath of an attack like that? Well, if you look at all the uh, human rights reports, the attacks on soldiers, the publishing of names, the uh, threats of uh, war crimes charges, of course there's a hesitancy on the part of the police. Uh, They're under orders, you know, to, I think, to be careful in their responses. But when there's a life-threatening situation, they have to do what they have to do, and uh, I mean, I am critical in some respects, and uh, my friends on the International Committee for Higher Education about the failure to take sufficient action. There is much more being done now, and it is better, much better, in fact, and there's plans to build a police station and expand the, the presence there. It hasn't happened, I think, in the way that it should, because this is exactly how you end up dividing uh, Yerushalayim if people are afraid to go there, which is what they want. They want to try to right. force, enforce 
by terrorism and by crime, uh, the division, and the uh, these two border guards who were stabbed in the old city were uh, is again a proof of this. It's it's an ongoing um, effort to a drive Jews out and to establish their presence and to attack where they can. Yeah. Uh, let's hope they're not successful. They're not going to be successful. The um, You mentioned earlier, and I'm sorry for bouncing around, but you mentioned earlier about a possible prisoner exchange when it comes to this Jordanian pilot with ISIS. So excuse my fascination with the le- with the leadership or the address of ISIS, but who negotiates for them? When it when it's uh, you know now time to try to release some of their prisoners, who is there? Have they declared a uh, a leader, a representative? Well, they do have heads, but and, and the one who declared himself head of the caliphate, others and there are those that dispute it. So it, it the leadership is not that tight, although they and again they, they uh, as is customary in all these countries, you have militias which associate with them, but are not really in a. It's not a arrangement like a normal army where you have a central headquarters and then divisions uh but there is increasing coordination i saw that the syrian rebels now are are increasingly joining with isis and mostly for financial reasons because the guys don't get paid so they go where they they can that isis pays them as much as 150 dollars a day when when uh, they earn 140 a month from uh, the syrian forces <coughs> and ISIS has not become an Islamic state. I, I described before how the transition mm-hmm. coming from ISIL to ISIS to ICE right. to IS, but they don't need it. I think it's a mistake when when people analyze the situation and they they don't see it as um, uh, you know the, in the orderly fashion that one would normally. Correct. Uh, it's frustrating. <laughs> well, of course, it's frustrating. But but look at the progress that they've made and how you have these recruitment all over Europe, all over the world, and the West is weak. It falls in front of them, so they they just keep moving. And I said before, they don't recognize boundaries. Right, but if Jordan... They, they see everything as an opportunity. Right, and I know, it sounds, I know it sounds like an Abbott and Costello routine, but if Jordan wants to go ahead and negotiate the release of that pilot, who do they call? They know who, because the pictures of the guys who... who uh, um, Taught them were were made public, and there are, is ISIS leadership in uh, Syria. So there's an avenue of communication. But this is the first time that you've had this kind right, of right. That's camper, true. So you know, you know that, that that's what was and, showed. That was, there are going to be talks in Moscow, supposedly next month or in February, uh, uh, after January 20th, sometime. I think it probably be in February. So you have representatives of the the, the domestic and the foreign oppositions as well as the Syrian government, supposedly, which will again promote uh, Putin's image, right. uh, despite the terrible internal situation that exists in the country. I think that's what was so shocking about the photos coming out of that incident with the Jordanian pilot, is that we expected that he'd be murdered on the spot, you know, in some big, uh, you know, show, so to speak. And maybe maybe that shows us something about, I don't know, you know, if it was an American citizen, he probably would have been. So maybe it shows us something about uh, being a Jordanian citizen that they... Well, they wanted to be able to parade him because they wanted to show what they accomplished. I know, but they don't do much parading. Even the even the American kidnapped journalists don't get paraded like that. You know what I'm well, saying? Well, that's different. If you, when you capture and you kidnap right. civilians, 
that's not something that, that in itself is a statement. This is shooting down, up, getting and capturing right. the pilot and showing the world, in fact, that right. you did it. Because then obviously there could be denials, and if they, you know, you have a beheaded person, they, this way you have the guy's family making appeals for, for and they will exploit every situation for their benefit. And when if they find that it's in their interest, they'll have some mock trial and they do away with it. Any downside to uh, full page ads in the New York Times declaring the tolerance that Israel has for people compared to other countries in the Middle East? Oh, except that he's making the Times richer, and uh, <laughs> while they continued their horrific coverage of the Middle East, and I mean, really despicable um, uh, coverage, uh, it, it, it just doesn't change. It gets worse and worse, and we expected better from Judy, better from Judy Roderin and others, but each time we get the, the disappointed in the end. I, I do want to point out, sure. I don't know if you saw, Nachum, uh, the comments, I thought, Heroic comments by the head of BBC Television, no, uh, Danny Cohen, who went who spoke at a conference in Arizona. He said he never felt so uncomfortable being a Jew in the UK as in the in the United Kingdom as in the last twelve months. And uh, it, I think it was uh, he, he talked about a pretty grim uh, reality uh, and about uncertainties. Uh, he, he cited the, the murders in France and Belgium. This is a pretty remarkable statement from a guy who has to go back to the BBC, whose coverage is, is quite terrible. But if that doesn't tell you that uh, I, I gave you some of the information on Europe before, and we could do it every week, we have updates, new information. You know, we see the BDS campaign and... and uh, uh, the doubling the number of anti-Israel activities on the campuses in the last year, according to reports, and the um, you know the, the way is from from the demonstrations in Ferguson to events in, in cities across the country, the city council, student councils, the gearing up uh, of these activities, which I think we will see much more of, and we are organizing for it as well. Uh, I think you know when when you see that, it should be again. A statement that has to be taken seriously. Could say that again. Finally, Malcolm, and it, it might be unfair for me to bring this up with you, and you don't have to necessarily comment, but I think we can agree that it's sad uh, when um, when well-known national Jewish organizations that focus on the young Jews in the United States. Uh, go ahead and openly drop a ban on interdating. I'm not judging people or telling people what they can or can't do, and we know we're in a free democratic country, but when they officially uh, drop it as a policy concern, um, I think one has to be disturbed. I haven't seen it, but but I do think that there's a general rule that you don't... The way to fight this is by assertive positive actions, by reaching out and facilitating... Uh, Jews to meet other Jews and married Jews to, to help with education, to increase our efforts to to uh, be helpful and to, to present Judaism in a positive way. And there are so many activities, and I've had the privilege of seeing some, some very creative programs, internships at very high levels where you get the elites. But we also have to think about the masses, yep. the, the need for more investment of funds in, in Jewish education, Jewish outreach, Jew, and, and of all kinds. I believe you, you need to give them a smorgasbord so that people find whatever will attract them 
back to Judaism, back to the Jewish community, then they will find and, and then opportunities to really explore the beauty of Judaism, what Israel, what Judaism has to offer. And Israel is one means of doing it, but, but we can't just shunt it to Israel and say we're going to send the kids at 18 to Israel and in two weeks make them Jews when they've been ignored for, for 16 years. Well said, Mr. Honline. You're welcome. Well said. I will join together in 2015 for another weekly update. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Online as Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations joins us for the weekly update Friday mornings here at JM in the AM.